countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey, hey! Now time for the last comic shop! That's right. We're opening up the shop so that newbies and oldies alike can listen and talk about comic books. That's right. Because what's more fun than actually listening and talking about comic books on a comic book podcast? Some of them do that thing. (laughs) Exactly. They just don't talk about movies or TV shows, even though today's program is because of a TV show that just... No, 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 we're not going to... I'm always with the most, Andy Larson. I'm joined by Chad Smith, J.A. Scott. And, of course, we are talking about a comic book that they made into a TV show that's very popular. It looks really good. I'm I'm digging it. It is Hawkeye by Matt Fraction and David Aja and a bunch of other people, too. Like, there's an issue done by Francesco Francavilla and a lot of other folks. Steve Lieber excited it's very weird that we've had this podcast for over a year we talk about a lot of marvel characters have we done two spider-man shows no two captain america shows no a hulk show no hawkeye two two shows for the main archer of the mcu <laughs> we still haven't done a wolverine show that's right right have we done an iron man show what about daredevil i love daredevil all right, well, well, real quickly, guys, we got 2022 coming up down the pike. Name one major Marvel character that you want to read a book on in 2022. Hawkeye. <laughs> Damn it! Not Hawkeye. Somebody else. J.A.? Daredevil. I wouldn't mind reading some Daredevil. Okay. Chad? More Daredevil. Once we start with J.A.'s Daredevil, I'd also like more Daredevil. Oh, Lord. I'd like to finally actually do an Avengers book. That's just me. Avengers, or maybe Doctor Strange, or Hulk. Like, I'm a huge Hulk fan. All this stuff with, like, Donny Cates' Hulk and how batshit crazy it looks, it's kind of intriguing. So maybe we'll get some issues into that, and we'll see how that's turned out. I think you'll see there's a rider in my contract that we, I will only do West Coast Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> that's because you like Tigra. And Safari Jacket Wonder Man. Anyways, uh, what's not in his rider is uh, J.A. Scott's ability to give us terrific Twitter polls. Every single Wednesday on the Last Comic Shop's Twitter page, at Last Comic Shop, we put out a poll for all of our fans to vote on. And uh, periodically, we like to come on these programs during these opening segments and give you the results like you give a damn. But anyways, we like to feel important. We like to make feel like you have a voice in our show and, and you voted. And sometimes Gail Simone tells people we have a poll and lots more people care about it. <laughs> that is true. Thank you, Gail Simone. It was wonderful that one week. And it is the final poll we'll be talking about today. So, yeah, Jay is going to give us the results for several weeks. What was the first poll we'll be talking about today? Uh, which sci-fi epic needs to be made into a film? So this came out right when Dune was uh, dropping. And the choices were William Gibson's Neuromancer, The Left Hand of Darkness, Ringworld, and 2061 Odyssey 3. Okay. What was the ultimate winner in this particular poll? William Gibson's Neuromancer took it with 39%. Not a lot of people of our of our full following reads 
classic sci-fi or I was just dating myself with these questions. <laughs> I think it was a combination of the two. I mean, you come up with wonderful polls every single week, but I think this one, yeah, this is... I mean, the classics. I mean, I, I th- agree. I voted for Left-Handed Darkness. I think that's a book that everybody should read. You know, it's a terrific one, especially nowadays. It has even more relevance with everything going on uh, and and the way that we think about gender roles in society nowadays. Like, Left-Handed Darkness, that's that's where it's at. But, um, yeah, nobody cared. Nobody cared at all about this book. I I had no idea what any of the books were, so I picked Necromancer. So that, that sounded fun, those neck romancers. Like, oh, give me those necks. Yeah, right? yeah neuromancer, not necromancer. Oh, but yes. sorry. Yeah, the, the, go on. Big, big William Gibson fan. So the next week, thankfully, we return to our more um, shallow, if we could say, I don't know, oh. for the best horror franchise. So uh, the choices were Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and then the fourth one was sort of hard to fill we had to figure out what to fill because those are the big three and then so i put in Hellraiser. yeah i i thought for a second you might put in evil dead but i think based on the fact that army of darkness beat out monty python and the holy grail for best arthurian movie i figured you were staying away from anything with ash williams just simply because he would run away with that boat and, and nobody else would care I didn't really care about this one either because I, I'm not a huge horror fan. So I think I voted for Friday the 13th, which is the only one I've actually seen more than one film, I think. And interestingly enough, that's the one that got the least votes at 14%. Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Hellraiser all tied with 28% of the vote. Wow. So this is our first time we've had a three-way tie for first. Okay. There you go. I went uh, Nightmare on Elm Street just because of the Fresh Prince song, Nightmare on My Street, that tied in. I'm a big Fresh Prince fan. <laughs> what did you vote for, J.A.? I went with Halloween. Oh, yeah. You've shown a lot of love for, especially the original, which I agree is probably yes. the best and I'll say it, the only good one. But what was our poll going along with our week Surrounding the Eternals from the MCU. So next, uh, we had Best Eternal. I think I went a bit too esoteric on a couple of these. So we had Highlander, obviously, uh, and and they took it with 50% of the poll. Vampire Lestat, going 90s and Rice for all those vampire lovers. That took 17%. A distant fourth place was... And drama key of Scythia, because I guess Old Guard was last year. (laughs) Well, I I think you should have just said, remember that movie with Charlize Theron? I should have just said Charlize Theron. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. People have been like, oh yeah, Old Guard, I love that movie. I even had to look it up. And that's, I'm on a comic book podcast. I couldn't remember what her name was. We read that book and watched that movie. I had nothing. Not nearly as much love as I thought. My pick itself, Phil Connors from Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. I I will say this. I voted for him. I was on I was on board with that. I thought that was a very creative pick. And at first I was like, Phil Collins? What do you mean he's immortal? (laughs) I just looked at it. I was like, hold on. No, he's saying Phil Connors. Oh yeah, yeah. And and then it made all made sense. I am a god. You're a god. Not the god. A god. Don't drive angry. It would have been better if you would have said Phil Collins, though, because everyone loves the drummer from Genesis. <laughs> he is immortal. Timeless. I don't know. He is there. He's in rough shape. But Bill Murray, 
He's timeless. What was the next poll? Best monkey. Ooh, yeah, around our wide last man. <laughs> yes. So we had Caesar from Planet of the Apes, either franchise. I was going to go Cornelius, but then I thought that was a little bit too... Uh... Yeah, people would have known what that we were talking about, except the cool people. Those yeah. people would have known who Cornelius was. Marcel from Friends. Uh, Clyde from the Any Which Way But Loose and Any Which Way You Can Clint Eastwood movies. And taking it with, you know... The obvious answer, King Kong. What about BJ from BJ and the Bear? Was it was it BJ? Was was the was he the the chimp or was the bear the chimp? I can't re- I can't remember. All I know is they drove trucks, and he was a monkey <laughs> in a truck. But yeah, I voted for King Kong because I've I've always loved the original 1930s King Kong. That's one of my it's in my top ten favorite movies of all time. Uh, I remember watching that movie as a kid. And when they get to Skull Island, like I, I don't like to remake because I think it's too, it's too realistic, and it and it becomes kind of a little too gory or whatever when they eat get eaten by bugs and things. Like I don't know, I like my fantasy. Like I'm just like, oh, this is kind and a gentler Kong. I went Kong as well, just because I've been on a treasury kick recently, and I found an old Whitman King Kong Treasury Edition comic book, and it was fresh on the brain. I went Kong as well. I think everyone went Kong. Um, oh, there were some people that were like, no, OG uh, Caesar from what? Escape from Planet of the Apes and, and War on the Planet of the Apes. That was the dude. And I was just like, yeah, no, I agree. There's nothing better than those old ape costumes from the original Planet of the Apes franchise. If you were going to go with somebody from the original series uh, of Planet of the Apes, who, who would have been better, Cornelius or Dr. Zaius? Do you think more people would have known who Dr. Zaius was? Uh, I was actually thinking whether I should go Zira. Ah, would have been nice. Get some sex appeal. Speaking of sex appeal, best sword and sorcery movie was our final poll that we're going to review. And so this poll got shared by Gail Simone. So we got by far the most people uh, commenting on one of our, our little podcast polls ever with 399 whopping people coming in and helping push Willow just over the line to beat out Conan the Barbarian. Oh, jeez. I know. has never won against Conan ever. But people were like, ride or die on Willow. Like, they were coming out of the woodwork. They're like, I would be on Willow all day. And I was just like, really? No, seriously. I guess there are a lot of Willow fans out there. I didn't vote for it. I voted for the Jason and the Argonauts, which was one of the choices. Just because it has the original stop animation with the Ray Harryhausen skeletons and giant statues and hydras. That's just awesome. Like, that's like the stuff dreams are made of, right? Yeah, I think I put that in there for the uh, for the OG sword and sorcery fans. I didn't think it would win. Uh, just like Beastmaster was the padding for this for this poll. <laughs> you might as well have put Ator from Mystery Science Theater three thousand or or Krull. By the way, I did watch Cave Dwellers last week with the Mystery Science Theater three thousand Turkey Day marathon. So. I was I was thinking about the Beastmasters, for sure. But I think, you know, the, the fact that Willow got so much vote just shows you that Disney's on the right path to when they come out with their Willow TV show. 
a lot of people were asking, where can I watch Willow? It's like, it is on Disney Plus. You can't miss it. And another thing that's on Disney Plus is the Hawkeye TV show, which we'll be talking about right after these commercial breaks. Make sure that you tune in every Wednesday to the last comic shop on Twitter to find these wonderful Twitter polls put out by Jay Scott. Yeah, so like every poll from now on is going to be like related to something Gail Simone did. (laughs) The safe bet. Hazel always knew there was something special about her cat, Mooney, but she's still shocked when Mooney opens his mouth to tell her he's just had a vision. An ancient evil has awoken after centuries of sleep, and only one man can stop it, the legendary warrior, Beowulf. Unfortunately, it's been over a thousand years since he slayed a dragon, and he's been reincarnated as this guy. His name is Victor, and he's more unemployed millennial slacker than mighty warrior. Go to monarchpublishing.net for a free sample comic. Get ready for the new sitcom Forza Crown. Everything was coming up roses for Bradley and Cameron until... I could just lie here with you forever. I think we should see other people. And as if that wasn't tragic enough... The rent has gone up higher than annual passes at Disney World. But they have a plan... Turning this place into a brothel. To get a roommate. Enter Allison and Dylan. Your endless sexual escapades. Whole new meaning to home office. Join these 30-somethings as they face the challenges of balancing careers and dating after 29. Coming soon to a podcatcher near you. last comic shop and it is now time for our read power review where even though a lot of people like to digest their comic books via television and movies we still like to read our comic books and we're gonna shove it in your face uh, actually what we're hoping is that you listen to our podcast today if you haven't read hawkeye which is uh, the series we're going to be uh, reviewing today, that you go out and you pick up some of these issues. Read it for yourself while you're watching the TV show on Disney+. Plus. J.A., there was a lot of folks that worked with Matt Fraction, and you're going to list them for us? So, obviously, you mentioned Matt Fraction was the writer. Most of the art was by David Aha. Really? That's how you pronounce his name? Yes. I never knew. I thought it was David Aja. Like, I'm, I feel bad now. Well... He's Spanish, so and I, I looked it up uh, in an interview. He said uh, his last name is pronounced all different ways, and he doesn't mind how you pronounce it as long as you try to say it some way. Aha, aya, aja, it's all good. Though we did have Javier Polito do an issue, Steve Lieber and Jesse Hamm did an issue, and then uh, the first trade also had a Young Avengers book in it, and that was, uh, again, written by Matt Fraction, but art by Alan Davis and Mark Farmer. Most of the colors on the entire series was Matt Hollingsworth, and lettering was mostly done by Chris Eliopoulos. And you forgot about Francesco Francavilla coming in at issue number 10. It's all right. No, there's a lot of different folks that worked on this particular series. And and it is a great one. It is one that I've been wanting to cover on this show for a long time. So I'm glad that Chad picked it to talk about when we were talking about Hawkeye. Because everything I saw from the trailers and the first episode, I'm like, this is all about Hawkeye and Kate Bishop and what's better than going back to the original Matt Fraction stuff. So, Chad, would you grace us with a 10-cent synopsis of what happens in the first two trades? Uh, okay, so you, you know the Avengers and how there's that guy, Hawkeye, who shoots the arrows? It turns out, when he's not being an Avenger... His life is a bit of a car crash. And so this book is about him 
serving as a mentor to Kate Bishop from the Young Avengers, uh, who duly notes that his life is a car crash for quite frequently. Uh, it also has him dealing with the people in his building that he ends up purchasing to protect them from the tracksuit mafia, uh, bro, who come <laughs> in, bro, and take things over, bro. And uh, we also have uh, a plot from S.H.I.E.L.D. that comes in halfway. And there's that whole Hurricane Sandy issue. And Lucky the Pizza Dog. Uh, and all of Clint's ex-girlfriends and ex-wives show up. And I'm bad at synopsises. Yeah, stuff happens and Hawkeye's a screw-up and it's fun to watch. Right! And this isn't the first time in the last comic shop that we've actually talked about Hawkeye as a screw-up. And if you go back and you listen to the previous time we talked about him being a screw-up, it was back in May, which we reviewed Hawkeye Freefall, which I feel is the spiritual successor to this series. We're going to take the concepts that Fraction came up with in the original Hawkeye series and just... Where does this trajectory go if we just keep following this path down this line of, of Hawkeye making bad choice after bad choice after bad choice? Because Fraction did it first. He came up with a Hawkeye that just makes bad choice and doubles down on bad choice. But I, I, I will say this. Definitely Hawkeye is much more heroic in this. He's a screw up, but he's still skirting that line of actually being a traditional superhero like he's protecting the people and so no, like, absolutely he's a much more noble screw up in this one where you know he puts himself in over his head but it's always for doing what's right whether it's sticking up for the young avengers amongst the elder avengers and saying hey listen we should give these kids a shot even though he's not prepared to deal with that stuff whether it's taking over the building when he doesn't know how to run a building or deal with the tracksuit mafia he's gonna do it anyway and the fun part is he's gonna take a lot of beatings in that process uh, that we get to watch i mean this is a series of different little storylines for the most part with a kind of overarching one but there's one that sticks out as kind of like more of a tangent it's issue four and five where it's really where hawkeye there's this tape that was released and it's awesome that they talk about vhs tapes like the the end all be all of spy work. like <laughs> Digital stuff can be faked, but you can't fake VHS. There's only one copy. And he has to go to Madripool. He jumps out of a building, and there's all these bad guys. And, like, I don't know, he plays Die Hard at one point because he runs across broken glass. But he all he does it to basically save some SEAL agents that have, would have had their, their cover blown otherwise. So it's not even about him, even though everybody thinks that it is about him. I don't know. From from top to bottom, I'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to the art. But that's like my favorite two issues of the series, right? Were, were there standout uh, parts to this series for you guys? Well, mine was Lucky the Pizza Dog. That issue was the best. Just top to bottom, from the writing to uh, in that issue, the word balloons are from the dog's perspective. So it's it's a lot of mumbled stuff that you don't understand and then words that the dog knows. Well, that was great. And he beats uh, Jonathan Hickman to all those flow charts way beforehand. Yes. Pizza dog decision-making charts. Oh, it was great. So I really enjoyed that. It was a nice break, but it still also progressed sort of that overarching story. And you got a little bit more into this bad guy with the crying mask that was going around and shooting people. It was like a, a bullseye analog. Yeah. Well, I was going to say more like a ripoff, but I mean, it was the same, same diff. 
for me, I, I'm old school. My favorite things were uh, the car chases and the trick arrows. Yes. Anytime you can bust out a boomerang arrow. And it's like, why boomerang arrow? It's like, because boomerang. It's just so fun. Plus, you get in that same issue, the fact that, like, like he doesn't organize what his trick arrows are. He doesn't label them. In fact, that's what starts it. He's like, I'm going to label these finally. And, like, ha-ha, explosive arrow. That actually worked. I mean, these are part of Hawkeye's mythology, is the, the notion of using these trick arrows. And to kind of use them in kind of like the same thought of why some people like Bendis' writing, right? Because they like dialogue that sounds like the way people talk. Like, Fraction writes that issue with the trick arrows, how people really would use trick arrows. They would use them haphazardly, a means to an end, and just like, oh, shoot, I forgot I had this one. All right, that worked for me. I just blew up a tire. That's fine. I'm waiting for the explosive one. That's the one I want. But, like, I got to go through all the rest to get to that one. So, yes. (laughs) Speaking of arrows, my other favorite part was whenever Hawkeye, whether it was Clint or Kate Bishop, they would pull back the arrow and they would use the comic book medium to slow things down. And they talk about how you pull it back and you slow your breath and exhale as you release. But you would see the panels where someone would be talking and like each panel would be like one letter of their speech. It was so visually striking. We talked about uh, David Aha earlier. He has such a visual sense, so much so they stole it for the posters for the Disney Plus show. Like, I don't think he gets credit or paid for that, but uh, the whole look, that's Aha. Well, on, on top of that, and I think we're going to get to the fact that, you know, this, this series for only being 12 issues, you know, jumped artists around a lot. Usually Chad doesn't like that, so maybe he'll, he'll, he'll talk about w- which artists he liked the best, and couldn't they have just done the whole thing, darn it? It's only 11 issues. But I will say that I thought they all seemed to have a, a similar style. I mean, the, it wasn't, like, really cartoony and something that's really sketchy. But the coloring, I love the color palette for the entire series. Very muted, lots of inks, lots of blues and purples, as yeah, you would. Those with purples. The, obviously, Hawkeye and stuff. But not a lot of anything else. Like, the, the backgrounds were very spare, pastel palette. Very, very subdued until that no good redhead shows up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's talk about her a little bit because there's again there's two things i wanted to talk about and, and one of them was the art and how there's differing art styles and like which ones work the best because i've got some strong opinions on that but the other one was I, I wanted to talk about is the fact that like hawkeye in his life is predominantly dominated by the women that he's had basically train wrecks of relationships with at this time when this series came out he was actually in a relationship with spider woman jessica drew she's she's wonderful she speaks in a british accent she's got awesome superpowers she is a catch and he just dumps it to the side and she's like, like oh i thought we were just you know having a thing you know whatever just having and, fun yeah because this girl shows up in this awesome charger and he can't like resist you know and meanwhile and, and this is me being uh awkward in the ways of relationships what is his relationship with kate bishop like yes she she's his ward <laughs> it's like i don't think i know what that word means that was hilarious <laughs> 
No, but it's true because it kind of skated a line here. And I will say that that was one of the parts that started to get become a little bit uncomfortable for me. I appreciate the Kate Bishop Hawkeye relationship when it's truly kind of a platonic thing where he's basically her mentor and she's his student and they get along and they pal around, but it's like sincerely a a friend relationship. And some of those panels sometimes when, you know, he would like pop into the car and he would have his shirt off and she'd be like staring at him and she just like, well, abs, you know? And I was just like, I don't know about this. And then like other times she was putting his tie on and she's wearing an I love Hawkeye shirt. I was just like, I get it. She's probably at least in her early 20s or something. That's not ridiculously creepy. But at the same time, I think it kind of took away from that relationship that was more based in trust. It kind of made it a little bit skeezy. But this being Hawkeye, I don't think he knew it was skeezy. I think he was totally oblivious. But in a way where, like, you know, he would think of Katie or Kate or whatever, you know, with affection. Like you would a friend. And I don't think he knew that she had eyes for him up until the issue when she leaves. And he's like, why do you have so much stuff in my apartment? You know, it's, it's that baggage, both physical and emotional, that, that goes along with it. It was a really complex relationship, which I, I appreciated. I thought that was, it was neat. <laughs> but you know what else is neat? You guys keep bringing up the artists. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Because I have one name that I think is the best artist in this whole series. And uh, it's not David Aha. It is Stephen Wacker. (laughs) Okay. Allow me to explain. Stephen Wacker is the editor in charge of this whole shit. He's also responsible for Spider-Man and the brand new day, whenever they turned around the Spider-Man franchise. And Andy's made mention before on the show, when he's like, they got rid of the marriage with Mary Jane, I'm done. I'm like, there's great comic book stories. He's responsible for that. He's responsible for this. Whereas normally when a series will bounce around between artists, it's incredibly frustrating for me. And there was a hint of that in here when we're reading the one trade and then it went to the Young Avengers issue. Oh, I hated that. I I, I actually stopped reading it halfway because the art was so different. The story was so different. I was just like, this has nothing to do with what I've just invested in. I just invested reading five issues of this very complex building storyline, and then suddenly it's like a totally different thing. The art is totally different. It just took me out of it. Yeah, and that's sad because that's Alan Davis. Like Alan Davis is like Titan of the industry. He's he's drawn so many good uh, good books that I've read over the years. I he did uh, you know JLA the Nail and don't forget Excalibur. Like exactly. Like he's he's a wonderful artist. But to say like his art style was that left turn too much. It, well, it, it clearly didn't fit. But what did fit was going from Aha to Stephen Lieber to Francesco Francavilla to Javier Polito. And even the issue that had the portion done by uh, Jesse Ham, that was the one art style where I was like, oh, it's kind of ugly. And I was like, wait a minute, it's all about Jersey. It's supposed to be ugly. But everything fits so well from artist to artist. And even though their styles were all unique, I could very easily point to the Libra pages versus the AHA pages versus the Polito pages. They all were similar enough in nature that there was that cohesive thread. And so many editors that were put in charge of these books don't give a darn about that cohesion. And this is a series where it jumps around a bit, even in the trades. In the second trade, they put issue seven before issue six. 
and you don't even notice it. Like because everything is built so well, pieces can be moved around and it works, you know, just as good. But I think that's as much of a credit to the editor and the people organizing this, associate editors, Matt Brennan and Sana Mont. Like, I just think this was so well organized that it really helped people like Matt Fraction and David Aha to shine and put their best foot forward. And I will say this, I, of all the uh, artists on there, I mean, again, it's hard not to like Francesco Francavia because I've liked so much stuff of, of his, whether it was uh, his Black Beetle series or some of the stuff that he did with Batman. But like my personal favorite was actually the Javier Polito issues. I don't know. I just liked his faces. Like, his faces were so good. And it was kind of like a weird thing for me because I really liked David Haha's layouts. Like, his layouts were, like, breathtaking. They were things that you didn't see in comic books. They were so sparse and minimalistic that when there was action, like, when there was scenes where, like, Hawkeye, they tell him to get lost and get out of the building and, like, they finally come at the end and he's just, like, there with the bow in the middle of the snow. That's the most traditional comic panel you get when you when you juxtapose that with like all the rest of what david was doing with flowing down the breath and the trick arrows and uh you know hawkeye jumping across the panel with the hawkeye face over his privates (laughs) but even that i was like javier polito is his his faces his the way that he draws things i loved his madam mask i just could have seen a whole series done just by him because i loved it so much but you're right it didn't jar it didn't make me feel weird between you know, issue three and issue four when they completely switched because they were both similar. Yeah, and I think the coloring had a lot to do with it too. So not only oh, do you sure. have similar styles, which is sort of this more independent comic book style, You, I would say, you know, that's why it was so jarring going from that to the Young Avengers, which was more sort of modern, you know, classic comic book drawing with shapely people in spandex and really out there comic book colors really in your face that's i think why it was so jarring not only because the art style was different but the coloring was different and sort of the whole aesthetic between what they had going on in the hawkeye book and what young avengers was doing and i think you know to chad's point you just point to really good editing and management of the series heck yeah and this is a series that took risks they did things that you don't see in other books, whether it's the pizza dog issue, whether it's the romance issue where they're interspersing it with those the romance covers. Like, how cool was that? Whether it was the issue where they basically paused the series as a result of Hurricane Sandy, which at the time was a huge thing in New York, and they tell this really compelling story about Grills. Oh, I love that issue. And then, spoiler alert, they kill him! I was so crestfallen. I got angry at the book for that. I was like, I I actually got into this character a little bit and his dad and he's trying to save the only things he has from his mom. And, you know, it looks like his his relationship with his dad maybe isn't that good. But then they come together at the end. It was really, really heartfelt issue. And then two issues later, he's shot in the head making a burger. Breaks your heart. Right. Yeah. That issue is wonderful, again, and that's another standout issue because, again, that was kind of like Hawkeye's the surrogate son there. Like, he's the one being like, all right, Dad, get upstairs with Grandpa. Like, I'm going to go do this. And, like, Dad comes down. He's like, oh, my, you know, I'm trying to save this stuff from Mother, you know, and, like, out of the, but you felt for it. And then they all escape in a rowboat, and you're just kind of like, yes. Again, that's one of the things that Fraction does well with writing 
is he gets relationships really well. Like, he's a great relationship writer. If you've never read his Sex Criminals and the way he talks about relationships in that book, it's the same thing he does in, in this Hawkeye stuff. Each other, Whether, again, there's that sexual tension or whether that's not. Just the way people talk to each other. It's all quippy. It's all fresh and, like, hip and, and, and poppy. And it just... Mm-hmm. It never lets up in that regard. And there's a great scene. I mean, Chad, you talked about it where Jessica Drew tells Kate Bishop, get out of here. You shouldn't be hanging out with this guy. And she's like, I'm not hanging out with him. He's hanging out with me. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure we've all had friends that that's the that's the first thing out of our mouth. No, no, no. I mean, I think that's what Chad feels about us on the last comic show. Me and J.A. sometimes. No, no, no. I, they're not. I, I'm not hanging out with them. They're they're hanging out. <laughs> but it's, it's not true. Not it's true. true that. But it's true that that's the way people really do talk. That's the way that people do. And so you connect. Whether it's Bendis, whether it's Brian K. Vaughn, whether it's Matt Fraction. These are writers that you can connect with their writing because, again, they're they're based in the way that we really talk and the way that we feel about people. And I was going to say that realness, too, is something that also is super important for me in terms of, as a comic book reader, I tend to gravitate more towards those street-level heroes and villains. And so, in this book, when someone crashes a car, it's like they really crashed a car in terms of its scope and sequence. It's not like you have... The Incredible Hulk throwing cars across city blocks. You know, everything was grounded and realistic. And some of the conflicts were as, you know, I I accidentally shot an arrow onto the disc with my neighbors and they can't watch their favorite Christmas shows. Just those little touches, those little small details, in addition to the big stuff. Like we talked about the Hurricane Sandy issue. I did have one little nitpick on the Hurricane Sandy issue because who keeps a rowboat in their attic? Okay, I get a rowboat. You keep it behind your house or in your garage, but who keeps a rowboat in the attic? How did he get there? <laughs> How did they get it out of the attic? Yeah, who knows? They, they weren't afraid to tackle uh, socially relevant issues in a way that through comic books, like, they're expanding the medium of comic books at the same time. That, there's just so much of the series that's so impressive. Well, one thing that's always socially relevant is our ratings. Well, maybe not. I don't know. But in any case, it was a good transition into this commercial break. So stay tuned for my last comic shop right after this. We'll be grading Matt Fraction's Hawkeye. Hey, everybody. Hey. I'm Ashley. And I'm Maggie. We're from Rock Candy Podcast. Kind of like behind the music, except unauthorized and drunk. But come along every week and listen to us talk about artists or albums that you may know really well or may have never heard of while we're drinking beers. Witty things to talk about. Great hot takes with some hot babes. (laughs) That's subjective, but okay. (laughs) So go find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and wherever you catch your pods. And with that, party party on, on, kids. Well, that sounded forced. (laughs) Is it not? (laughs) All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our rating. All right, guys, before we get to our ratings, I want to know, what was your favorite dark and depressing small detail from the book? Was it Hawkeye's prison wallet, where he keeps his Amex black card from S.H.I.E.L.D.? Was it Pizza Dog walking past a murder to find the dumpster that has the food in it? Or was it when the issue starts with Hawkeye talking about, that's my third most terrible idea today. I've had at least nine. 
terrible <laughs> ideas. <laughs> I got I got to go with the last one just simply because I've woke up some mornings and said, like, yeah, I'm batting over 10 right now. But sure, just I'll double down on one more. It's fine. It's fine. No, my my darkest point in, in Hawkeye is the interchange between him and Bobby Morris. Like she shows up and she's like, you got to sign this. And then he's like, is that a van? Is that a thing in a van? And he, he's like, oh, yeah, that's totally a van van. And then she goes down there and like drop kicks the guy through a window and then comes back up and says, yeah, these are the divorce papers. Happy Valentine's Day. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, she still loves the guy a lot, actually. But he is a complete screw up. So it's toxic for her. That's that's real life. That's that that hits you where you live. I think probably for me, it was um, the pizza dog. <laughs> just going past it because i love that issue that that entire issue for me was uh, was the best I, up until its heartbreaking conclusion oh, i mean heart, sure. heartbreaking for Haw- hawkeye i think probably a little bit less for the pizza dog but <laughs> he, he also did look sad we all make our choices that's true. And one thing that we always have choices on is what we're going to rate our book this week. And so Jay gives us a nice rating scale, one out of four, and a nice cute sound effect to go along with it. So Jay, what's our rating scale for Hawkeye by Matt Fraction? Well, I already did arrows, I think, in the last Hawkeye show. I'm so we can't yep. do arrows. Sorry. I'm sure you have the sound effect ready to go. Your fingers poised on the button. No, no, I'm but... hoping you go with a different one. He was adorable the whole way through. No, I'm not going with Lucky the Pizza Dog. Oh, come on! No. Though, hey, I'm going with one out of four bros. Bro. 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 You mess up, bro. You're missing a bunch of other words in this sentence. But you got bro right, so I guess it's okay. Anyway, bros, we'll start off with Chad. Is this a bromance for you? Oh, bro. Bro, this book, bro. It gets all the bros. <laughs> this is it's everything I love about comic books. And like all the, the, the little things that are esoteric just to me, this book ticks them off one by one by one. I love the art team. I love the writing. I love Fraction's acerbic wit. I love AHA's sense of design. I love the relationships between characters. Uh, I love the characters that are in it. I love Madame Mass becomes formidable in this and also kind of sad. And, like, there's just so much of this book that I love. It's, it's all the parts of it. So, yes, four out of four bros, bro. All right, my bro from another Mo. Uh, what are you rating this this week? So I'm going to rate the Hawkeye series and not the graphic novel compilation that added that stupid Young Avengers book. In. <laughs> you really didn't like that issue. No, I didn't. I really didn't. So just rating the 11 issues of Hawkeye that we read, it's four out of four bros. Grotastically awesome. To me, it feels like, you know, something that I wouldn't have appreciated when I was younger. I think it's it's a more mature story. It's targeting a more mature reader. I, I don't think this is a story that your typical teenager would probably find as interesting. Maybe that's what the Young Avengers stuff is for. To me, if you're going to make sort of a comparison, this is closer to the Netflix Marvel stuff than the mainstream mcu universe where every movie is you know just a formulaic same thing every time 
this is a little bit more nuanced, a little bit grittier, a little bit uh, more involved emotionally. And I love the color palette. I love the art. It was enjoyable to sit down, read through it for a couple of hours, and felt like I was not getting something that I could get somewhere else. It was comic booking at its best, as Chad would say. The thing is, I I really do want to rate this a four out of four as well. I I do. I I think I'm going to ding it slightly. Uh Just slightly. I think this is a 3.95 bros. Bro. That's just simply because the relationship with Kate Bishop, I told you. Now, in retrospect, now reading it two or three times after the fact, it's kind of creepy. Maybe it's because I have a daughter. That's kind of the relationship that I'm feeling from Kate Bishop and Hawkeye is a father-daughter relationship. And the fact that there's, like, sexual tension at all just kind of goes, eh, like, ick. I don't like this. Like, have him talk about his relationships with, you know, Cherry or or Black Widow or Bobby Morse or, or Jessica Drew. Uh, have Kate Bishop stand up for him because... That's what daughters do for their dads. They stand up for him and be like, leave him alone. Like, he, my dad's okay. You know, he's a screw up, but he's my dad. Shut up. You know, that's kind of where I felt more in my wheelhouse with their relationship. And anything that went outside that, which happened, it's like a wearing a Bro. sweater soaked in cod liver oil. I was like, I can't get this off me. This is gross. I don't know. Uh, Bro, uh, she's oof. not really his ward, bro. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Bro, she's not his daughter. He's taken under her his wing. He definitely, I feel, thinks that there's like issues where she he says like she's wonderful or whatever like that. And I think you could take that in kind of like a romantic way too. But I didn't. I was just like, that's how a dad talks about his daughter. Like she's awesome. Like if I have somebody that's gonna learn off me, that's who I want. And so as that was part of the key parts of the of the of the series, I felt like. Anytime it strayed from that, you know, where she's putting his hand, her hand down his pants and stuff. And I was just like, ah, I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too she, old for this, Matt Fraction. She is the one that got the wallet. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what that's what makes it interesting it is there's a nuance there. It's real life. It's not sort of just the tropey, quote unquote, father daughter relationship between a middle-aged guy and a younger woman who's not his daughter because you know reality is there is going to be some romantic tension and since we're stepping all over andy's uh rating here i also (laughs) want to say i'm very excited to see how they do this with jeremy renner because this book has so much more personality than jeremy renner does (laughs) in all of his hawkeye appearances so i'm very excited because it definitely seems like that disney plus series is is borrowing liberally from this series. Yeah. I feel like as long as they dick Kate Bishop, I think they'll uh, they'll be fine because Kate's Kate's their future. Like that's where they're going with this. And and, and Kate's really the future in this book too. I but everything else is great. The art's great. Everything's wonderful. Except for that I don't that know. One issue like, of Young Avengers. I think you're just bringing your own hang ups, bro. <laughs> bro. Don't hassle me, bros. <laughs> You got some recommendations for our Bro Nation. On the last comic shop, we always bring recommendations. And these are other comic books that you can check out in your spare time in addition to the Hawkeye series by Matt Fraction. In addition to what we covered this week, we like to give you a recommendation, something that's sort of related to the book we've uh, just talked about. Uh, Something 
that is a little bit out of left field and something that's current and hitting newsstands uh, within maybe the last year or two years or five years. Current isn't always current, but it's current. So why don't we start off with our similar book, because I feel like it was also written by Matt Fraction, and that comes from Chad. So Chad, Matt Fraction, and uh, David Aha as well. Uh, And this is where I, I first discovered the pair and how well they work together. And that was on Fraction and Aha's Iron Fist series, where they basically turned Iron Fist... And do a similar screw-up-like character uh, as Hawkeye here. Apparently that's a thing Fraction does well, so stick with what you know, I get it. But they also went and dug deeper into the Iron Fist mythos. And introduced different Iron Fists, almost like a, a Green Lantern-esque. Or what's a good superhero where the mantle is passed down from generation to generation? Not Batman. Not Batman. <laughs> yeah. Maybe like the, uh, the Flash. You know how there are all those different flashes out there? And, and, but it took the, the Iron Fist and the, the Kun Loon and all the the things that went along with it, and it translated them into, you had like your World War II Iron Fist with uh, Orson Rand. And then you also go to the seven capital cities of heaven and meet the immortal weapons, which also have Iron Fist-like powers and abilities. But take all that striking visual David Aha designs, add that acerbic fraction width, and instead of the purples of Hawkeye, make it green for Iron Fist, and uh, you'll know what you're getting. It's tons of fun. I highly recommend it. Uh, the Immortal Iron Fist from 2006. There you go. And going along with that, if you're a fan of that series and have read it already, uh, I can recommend something current. One of the current runs of Shang-Chi that uh, has recently been written by uh, a, a fellow that we've talked about on this particular program several times. That is Gene Lunier, who you might have remembered, uh, wrote the book we covered uh, previously in, in Superman versus the Klan. Uh, Chad talked about him just a couple weeks ago when it came to the Superman Batman series that he really liked. And he does a great job with Shang-Chi as well. And uh, really, it's again, hitting another reset button on that Shang-Chi character, introducing him as a member of more of a clan of kind of awesome human weapons. Like, uh, again, you, you find out more about his dad, Jungzu, and uh, how he set up something called the Five Weapons Society to basically uh, protect China way back millennia ago. Uh, there's uh, basically five houses, very similar to uh, one of my favorite movies, Five Deadly Venoms, which they all have their different styles. This one's actually based around weapons. So, like, Shang Chi is actually the uh, House of the Hand which makes sense because he punches. But there's also the House of the Dagger, the House of the Hammer, the House of the Sword. Um, and, and and it's really kind of neat. All of these people are actually Jung Zhu's kids that he had with different people. <laughs> and then he set up in the different houses over the years. It basically makes Shang-Chi not so special. There's actually brothers and sisters that are just as cool as him. And he's kind of exploring how his family is interconnected and how, like, he has to mend his relationships with his family. And now they're actually not that bad of people, even though 
or, you know, originally they were assassins and all this other stuff. So again, like Jean Lun Yang does a really good job of bringing home the, the notion of family to Shang-Chi. I like that idea too, that, you know, you always think you're special until you go back to your family and they kind of put you in your place. Yeah, you're not that cool. <laughs> That's true. You know, but he, he ultimately takes a leadership role within his family. And, and Keels himself, you know, he has his feelings about his dad and all the nasty stuff that his dad came up with. But it was really because his dad lost his brother Aww. when he was younger. And the effect that he, that had on him and becoming so Everybody ruthless. Everybody always has an excuse. Everybody always has an excuse for becoming a ruthless, evil dictator that kills people. <laughs> but it added color. It added texture. It added mythos and mythology to something that i'll be honest i never really read a lot of shang chi up to this point and i was very pleasantly surprised by the series so the, yeah check out shang chi brothers and sisters that's the name of the trade paperback done by jean Lun yang with art by daika ruin if you want to read some more current shang chi based on the movie that was just released again on disney plus that you might be checking out with hawkeye there you go all right well i am going to recommend something that's a little bit out of left field and not very current but just wonderfully uh throwback and nostalgic especially if you grew up in the 70s or you watched it on tv in reruns in the 80s and i will just read out the uh the catchphrase to this show and then you'll know what i mean so we can rebuild him we have the technology we can make him better than he was better stronger faster that's right i am recommending dynamite press they had a series and they've put it into you know trade form of the six million dollar man Oh, yeah. If you are a big fan of the old TV show, the CBS show with Lee Majors, this is great. Let me just set the plot for you and tell me that you wouldn't want to put some money down on this. The year is 1979. Iran has seized American hostages. Colombian drug cartels run rampant. Amid this deeply troubled world, Steve Austin, the legendary million dollar man is America's best hope in its fight against innumerable enemies. When Steve discovers disturbing secrets in OSI's past, he uses his cybernetic upgrades to rebel against the agency, but he'll face plenty of threats like an enemy cyborg, lasers, and ninjas. You know, it's like Camp 70s. You've got the original superhero sort of Iron Man, Cyborg, Terminator guy fighting against the system. It runs with all that like 1970s uh, parallax view type uh, conspiracy theory, whack job, Watergate stuff. It's just a fun book, especially if you liked film and television and, and writing. I got to ask. Does uh, the robot Sasquatch show up played by Andre the Giants? <laughs> no. It got its own toy. I remember that. It was like, here's robot Sasquatch fighting the million dollar man. Oh, it's one of my favorite episodes of that classic series. The opening pages had me. So it, the first book opens with him getting blown out in an airplane and he wakes up because, you know, the concussion of the blast knocked him out for a second. He wakes up and he's flying down through the air he's like oh i'm i gotta find something to soften my landing so he gets on top of a crate 
and it lands and the crate blows open and it's full of cocaine. <laughs> there you go. That'll keep you flying. Yeah, so by Dynamite Press, uh, writing by Van Jensen with really great art by Ron Salas, colors by Mike Atia and Caitlin McCarthy. That's uh, just a fantastic, you know, throwback. If you like those shows, I totally recommend it. Well, there you go. And uh, if you like our show, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to The Last Comic Shop so that you don't miss our show every single week. You can do that by going out to www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a place where you can find all of those podcasting platforms, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, YouTube, Pandora, Amazon Podcasts, and a variety of other places. And if you are so inclined, please leave us a five-star review. Yes! it's the holiday season leave some holiday cheer for us here at the last comic shop by saying some nice things about our podcast because again again it's not just for us by uh rate reviewing and subscribing and leaving us those five-star reviews you make our podcast more visible more people can find our great podcast and enjoy the reviews that you enjoy every single week and you can find your last comic shop compadres on the social media uh, on Twitter and Instagram, we're at Last Comic Shop, and on Facebook, we're at Last Comic Shop Podcast, and that all can be found at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. Where they can find what else, J.A.? Oh, they can find our wonderful merch store where you can get everything you want Last Comic Shop related in purple to celebrate uh, your love of Hawkeye. We can have a special Christmas shirt out for uh, your Christmas shopping season, so check that out. And of course, every order you place between now and Christmas will come with a Last Comic Shop quiver of arrows. So maybe you can have the... (laughs) Mistletoe arrow or the eggnog arrow, my personal favorite. But remember, they're trick arrows, so sometimes the trick is you're not getting arrows. <laughs> and if, uh, if you need to find a comic shop, you can go to the comic shop locator, www.comicshoplocator.com, where you might request to see Hawkeye by Fraction, Aja, and Company. You might request to find some million dollar man from dynamite press you might request to find the new shang chi series by gene lu yang or you might want to pick up my recommendation which i remember it was iron fist by brew baker and aja and uh matt fraction boy i'm i'm off here today (laughs) (laughs) well the good thing is you're going to be off for another week Woo-hoo! Because that's the end of the last comic shop for this week. I was the host of the host, Andy Larson. I was joined by J.A. Scott and Chad Smith. Make sure that you check us out every single Wednesday for our Twitter polls. Again, J.A. Scott puts a lot of work into those Twitter polls, so make sure that you participate and it doesn't take Gail Simone pulling you out of the woodwork and make sure that your voice is heard. Until then, stay safe, stay sheltered, and remember... Hawkeye was always the best part of MASH. Anybody that says otherwise, like it was Chapper John, fool. Everyone knows it was Hawkeye. Was the reason why you tuned in. Max Sherman Potter. I want to know, who puts a rowboat in the attic? Where do you keep your rowboats? The last comic shop was a 2021 Black Angus production.